our most gracious Heavenly Father. We look at creation. We look at the stars that you've made. We even think about the wildfire that's, that's burning nearby us. And God, we continue to pray for the safety of our firefighters and for the homes and, and anything else that might be in this fire's path. But even that, Lord, even a wildfire is part of your creation. It's part of your redemptive process. And you have given us the greatest gift, and that you've given us your Son. You've given us your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, who rose again so that we could be saved. And I pray, Father, that we would see this morning, if we've seen it before, may we see it more clearly. And if we haven't seen it before, may we see it for the first time that you created us and you've saved us for a reason. I pray, God, that your spirit would be our teacher, that your spirit would be our guide, that you would open our hearts to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, throughout the world we live in, there's a lot of people that talk about this word purpose. And I like this word, right? When we think about what something is for, right? Everything has a purpose. And sometimes, well, you know, I do, I think there's one, there may be one exception in all of God's creation to things that have purpose, and that's mosquitoes. <laughs> Pretty sure mosquitoes, uh, I mean, God doesn't make a mistake, but they, they you know, before the fall, before Adam and Eve, mosquitoes were probably these friendly little creatures that landed on your arm and you had a conversation with them. I don't know. I can't prove that, but you can't prove me wrong. And we don't know. I don't think mosquitoes have a purpose anymore, other than to be um, a reminder that the world kind of sucks sometimes. But everything has a purpose, right? You, you go, you get something like this. It's got a purpose. It holds coffee. Now, in the world of dishes and plates and cups. There is no other dish, fork, spoon, knife, bowl that has a greater purpose than the coffee mug. There just isn't. Now, that's my opinion, but still, I think I'm pretty close. But we look around our world and we can usually easily point out a purpose for various things. Right? we got the fans. They're supposed to help us cool off. Um, we've got the sun. It's supposed to help us warm up. Uh, you know, and without it, all life on earth would end. That would be bad. Then you get people. And people come up with all kinds of reasons for why they think they're alive. And some people may think they're alive because they have a political career ahead of them. You never know. Some people, maybe they're here because they're here to teach others or maybe they're here to beautify our world or maybe they're here because they can fix things or whatever it might be but everybody looks now in our world in our culture that purpose has been grossly misplaced a lot of people in our culture if you ask them you know what are, what are you here for what why are you here what what's your purpose well i'm here to have fun right or i'm here to to raise a little hell and chase a little tail 
That's nobody's purpose. But that's what people think. Right? I'm here to be all about me. I brought up that fun, you guys remember that country song? It's all about me. It's all about I. It's all about number one. It's the same guy, I believe, who wrote Red Solo Cup. I believe this man needs to find his purpose. Clearly, he's gifted. And he just keeps writing really stupid songs that people pay money to listen to. It's not like when we go see Calvin. That'll be good. But people come up with all of these ideas. What about my prayer? I'm here to make money. Really? You really think that's all there is to life? It's money? And we can start going down a very, very long list of what people think their purpose may be. Well, the one thing that I really love, you know, um, if your car breaks down, you go talk to somebody who knows how to fix it. We have a toilet in our upstairs bathroom that has been leaking for um, on and off for like six months. And they're finally going to replace it for us. I'm so excited. It's fun renting. Um, so we're going to get a new toilet. But if, you, if you're going to put in a new toilet, you've got to go to the person who knows how to put the new toilet in. If you want to know why you're here, why your eyes popped open this morning, why your heart keeps beating, you've got to go to the one who knows. And there's only one, and that's God. Now, I put up there Ephesians 2.10, but we're actually going to start in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Because context is wonderful. Chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 1. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Isn't that wonderful? In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, the fulfilling of the desires of the flesh, of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. So just consider these first three verses real quick. He made us alive who were dead. The Bible tells us very clearly in Romans chapter 3, verse 26, that the wages, no it doesn't, it says there that all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and it's, it's verse 23, not verse 26. That's what happens when you go on vacation. But in 6, 23, it says the wages of sin is death. And the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So look at this, we were dead spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins and apart from Christ on our way to eternal condemnation. We once walked according to the course of this world. Anybody else? I can look back on a time in my life when the pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of me, myself, and I was the number one thing in my life. My beautiful wife was there. She saw it. I've said this many times. I'm so glad none of you, for the most part, knew me back then. It was not pretty. But we walked according to the course of this world. We followed after the culture. We followed after, oh, the latest celebrity says, these are the shoes I should be wearing. I'm just going to throw this out there. If anybody here or anybody listening, you take your social, moral cues, right? You base your life upon what a celebrity says, you need help. Please get it. Please get it soon. They don't care about you. 
They just want to be popular and make more money. And half of them will take their clothes off to accomplish that. Now, I don't want to be that popular. You're welcome. (laughs) But that's what people do, right? The latest trend on Facebook, the latest... Uh, wait, what is it? The, 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 I was about to say the TikTok because I'm a real old guy, right? My, my daughter's introduced us to Snapchat, which has been around for a while. And I just sat there and laughed for like an hour with all the various filters and faces that you can get on the Snapchat because, well, I'm, I'm old. The Snapchat. That's right. The Snapchat. I said it and I meant it. But how many, how many people today, right? You have kids that they're on these various social media platforms and they want to base their life on the garbage that they see on there, the lies that are presented to them. Or they watch TV, uh, you know, reality shows. I was listening to a podcast, uh, well, it was a couple of weeks ago. And on that podcast was a person who had actually been on a reality show and they basically, they, they laid it out. They said, they're not reality. They said the entire thing is scripted. This particular person was on The, the, the Bachelor, you know, where, where 30 desperate women try to get the attention of some ugly guy. And on that show, everything is scripted. You know, they have those little talking head moments where, oh, well, you know, so-and-so. No, it's all scripted. These people are actors. The, the, the person who's going to win, it's like the WWFE, you know, the wrestlers. It's the same thing. They put on their costumes. They say their words. They know who's going to win. But you have young ladies who think, well, if I want the attention of a, of a good-looking young man, then I have to walk around half-naked, and, and I have to, to give myself away, and I have to be like that. And then you see guys. Well, if I want to attract a woman who walks around half-naked, then I'm going to have to have this kind of money and drive this kind of car and all of that. And folks, I'm living proof that that's not true. You've all seen my wife. Much better looking than I am. Look at all the points I'm getting. Much better looking than I'm much smarter than I am. She's only made one bad decision in her life that I'm aware of. Thank you for like the three of you who got it. Um, Right? But I was not rich. I'll tell you a story. This sermon's going to take forever. I haven't even started yet. Um, I haven't preached in a while. Now you must suffer. So our first date... So I, I could tell you the whole story. How we met at a con- we met standing in line for concert tickets. We met again at the concert. I asked her out on the first date. And on that first date, I had this thought in my mind because I was 16 and an idiot. And my goal was, right, if you ever go out on a first date, you, you dress up, right? Maybe you don't put on a suit and tie, but maybe you'll put on some nice clothes, take a shower, comb your hair. I did none of it. I had this pair of black and gold paisley shorts So I'm going to paint you a word picture here. Black and gold paisley shorts. Then I had the greatest shoes in all of existence at the time. I did find a pair of shoes that was slightly better, but I wasn't allowed to buy them. Uh, Vans, Rastavans. Anybody remember Rastavans? Red, yellow, and green Vans. So I had those with my gold paisley shorts. Then I wore some kind of like, it's like a greenish t-shirt. Then I wore a corduroy hat that I got when we had visited Mammoth that had an elephant sitting on a toilet and it said, Mammoth, we've got the runs. Mammoth is a ski resort in California. This was my outfit. 
That's how we went out on our first date. Then we went and we had pizza, and then we went mini golf. She said, let's go to a movie. And I, I'm a gentleman, right? Oh, we're not going to go to a movie. We can't talk in a movie. Let's go play mini golf. But you know what's great about mini golf? You have to bend over and pick up your ball. She had a nice pair of black shorts on, black sweater, fake Doc Martens. Here we are 30 years later. I told you, she's only made one bad decision in her whole life. But I had a point. What was my point? I like it. You can bend over and pick up a ball. I was not trying to be like the world back then. Now, that didn't last. But that's what people do. They follow the course of this world. What's the other thing they follow? The prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. You follow the course of the world or you follow the devil. And you can walk up to any person who does not know Christ as Savior and you can ask them straight out, are you a follower of Satan? How, uh, okay, in our day and age, there's a few people that might say yes. Um, but for the most part, people will go, well, of course not. I don't follow the devil. Really? Do you follow Jesus? Well, well, no, I'm not really religious or whatever their word is. Oh, well, if you're not following Jesus, guess who you're following? You're following someone. We, among whom we all conducted ourselves, right? The lusts of our flesh, the desires of our flesh and mind. And we were by nature children of wrath. Because apart from Christ, the only outcome is judgment. And then my two favorite words in scripture, in verse 4, but God. Because there's the difference. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. But God, and look at this description of himself, that Paul gives to us by the inspiration of God's Spirit. He is rich in mercy. And because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. He made us alive together with God. Romans 5.8, one of my favorite scriptures, says that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Because of his great love, because he is rich in mercy, and not only did he make us alive, he raised us up so we could sit together in heavenly places in Christ that in the ages to come throughout eternity he could show us the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ. And then two 
of the most famous verses in the book of Ephesians, if not in the New Testament as well, for by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And that is so vital. For by grace you have been saved. There's not a single person in here who is a follower of Christ who could stand up and say, this is how I got saved. I was born. I never did anything wrong as a child. Obeyed my parents perfectly. When I became a teenager, I never rebelled. I got straight A's in school. I always listened. I volunteered at the soup kitchen. I mowed my neighbor's lawn for free. I never drank. I never smoked. I never danced. Then when I became an adult, my perfection continued. Right? Never had sex before marriage. I just got married to a perfect woman who had never sinned either, by the way. That's about the only way that would really work out. I came close, guys. Those points are racking up. And now we, as a married couple, we don't tithe 10 or 50. We tithe 90% of our salary. We live in a box. We eat ramen. And most of our ramen we give away to the poor anyway. And so I know that if God were to ask me, why should I let you in? I'll just point to all these wonderful things I've done. Jesus tells the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, which is in the book of Luke, Um, We're going to get there eventually. If I remember correctly, it's in chapter 17. Let's see how close I am. Am I close? I am not close. It's chapter 18. That's kind of close. So he told them this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Luke 18, verse 9 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. He became British. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I possess. That man stood before God and said, God, look how good I am. And when you ask people in the world today, they will often give you answers like this. Are you going to heaven? Right? Have you thought about eternity? What happens after we die? Well, I think I'm a pretty good person. And I think when the day comes, I will probably have done more good than bad. I hope that I'll be okay. I don't want to base the outcome of any aspect of my life on, well, I hope it'll be okay. I don't. Now, I can't imagine spending my entire life knowing that one day I'm going to die. If you don't know that yet, it's a surprise to you. Um, We're all going to die. And some of us, maybe we'll have 80 or 100 or 100, I don't know how many years you want. Um, Maybe we'll have a lot of years. Maybe we won't have so many, but everyone eventually is going to die. And what do you want to base your hope on? That I spent my entire life and I tried to do better or more good than I did bad. And when I get there, maybe I'll be okay. No. Uh -uh. Uh-uh. You want to do that? I feel bad for you. Because you're going to spend your life filled with anxiety and fear 
one of the reasons that the COVID virus did what it did to our world is because people were so afraid of dying. I'm not afraid to die. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't want it to be painful, and I don't want it to be slow. But that's because I'm selfish. But I'm not afraid to die. Because when I die, I know where I'm going. And when I get there, and God says to me, why should I let you in? I'm not going to look at him and go, well, you know, Lord, I'm not like other men. I'm not an extortioner. I'm not unjust. I never committed adultery. I, I'm not even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all of I, I possess. I mean, look, God, I did pretty good. That's why I think you should let me in. I'm not going to do that. And anybody who tries, I kind of think God's with a broken heart going to have to tell them that that's not how it works. No, I want to be like the tax collector. The tax collector, he stood far off. He would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. When I get there, when I stand before the judgment seat of God, when he looks at me, and he already knows, right? This is not going to be a surprise to either of us. But if he ever asks me the question, why should you get in? I'm going to make one statement. I plead the blood of Jesus Christ. Be merciful to me, a sinner. I'm never going to stand before God and tell him about all the great things I've done. I'm not going to stand before God and go, didn't you hear that sermon that I preached? Right? I spent the first half hour and didn't even start into my notes. I'm actually probably going to get a little chastised for that more than anything. But there's not going to be a moment where I'm going to be there and I'm going to, right, I'm going to be up there and Neil's going to be next to me and I'm going to be like, oh, how'd you get in? No, that's not going to happen. He's not going to look at me and go, how did you get in? We're going to look at each other and go, praise God, Jesus died for us. That's how we got in. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. This free gift of God that he offers to all of us, to anyone who will believe to anyone who will believe. And I love that. Well, you don't know what I've done. I don't care. Probably not worse than anything I've done. Well, you don't know about my past. I don't care. God wants to heal you of it and set you free of it. And he wants to give you life and forgiveness. I've heard so Many excuses. I've heard so many excuses. Well, the church is full of hypocrites. Come and join us. Because if you think you're not a hypocrite, you're the biggest one of all. No offense. Okay, I'm trying to be a little offensive. Well, I've never really done anything wrong. Well, you just lied. Oh, it's a crutch. You bet it's a crutch. I cannot stand apart from my relationship with Christ. 
I can't. I don't even want to get out of bed in the morning without it. You can come up with all the excuses you want. I don't want excuses. I want eternal life. And I can't earn it, so I have to go to the only one who can give it. And that's Jesus Christ. Sermon number one. Sermon number two, verse 10. Verse 10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now there's a reason we looked at those first nine verses. And here's the reason. We love to take verse eight and nine out of context. For by grace you have been saved. Right? We love to take that out of context. And so often when verses eight and nine are quoted, we forget about the seven verses that come before them, about how we're sinners separated from God by our sin, how we cannot save ourselves, how if we are not following Christ, we're following the world, we're following the devil. But then the other part we forget when we take 8 and 9 out of context is verse 10. Yes, I am saved by grace. There's nothing I can do to earn it. There's nothing I can do to deserve it. There's nothing I can do to maintain it. It is a gift of God. But why? Why did he save me? So that I could just spend eternity sitting on a cloud where milkshakes pour over the side. And when I get sick of milkshakes, I go down to the river of gravy. Where my chicken fried steak tree grows. I'm kind of thinking I'm going to need a cupcake tree too. I'm going to need a coffee fountain. I don't know. Whatever it is. Is that why? If that was the reason. If he he saved us just so we would spend eternity in heaven with him which would be more than enough, by the way. But if that was it, the moment you gave your life to Christ, you'd fall over dead and go home. But we're still here. Anybody? Anybody still here? Have I lost you yet? But we're still here. Why? Because we're his workmanship. The ESV puts it this way. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The New Living Translation puts it this way, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I love that. According to this passage, each of us is created formed or made by our creator for a purpose? It leads to two questions. One, what is our purpose? And two, how do we discover it? So first, let's talk about the fact that we are created for a purpose. The word for workmanship in Greek is poema. It's where we get our word for poem. And it can also be translated as a masterpiece, but not just a masterpiece, but a unique masterpiece. Has it ever boggled your mind, because it boggles mine, that there's 8 billion people on the earth and we all pretty much look different? Yeah, I know there's twins and there's doppelgangers and whatnot, but 8 billion people on earth, right? For the most part, everyone's got two eyes, a nose, a mouth, two ears, We all got hair. We've all got two legs and two arms and whatever, right? We we all have the same stuff. 
But I'm looking around this room and there ain't a one of you that looks alike. But everybody's got two eyes and a nose and a mouth. How? How could God be that creative? You ever looked at bugs? Bugs! No two ladybugs have the exact same pattern of spots. No two zebras have the exact same pattern of stripes. Oh, it's random chance over billions of years. No, it's not. It is the unique, artistic creation of our God. No two snowflakes are the same. And even if you have twins, right, anybody have twins? We, were, we thought we were going to have twins. Everyone said our son was going to be twins. He just had a big head. But there are similarities and whatnot. But every one of us made unique. Every one of us loved as an individual. And I've always enjoyed the phrase masterpiece. Because in the olden days, and you can still do it today for some trades, you become an apprentice. And you become an apprentice to a master, an electrician or a plumber or whatnot. But let's say you're an apprentice to a, a potter. You have to get to a place where you can create pottery to the same quality and standards of your master. And eventually, when you create that piece that is on par with the master, that is your masterpiece. You're no longer an apprentice. Now you can be a potter yourself. You're good enough. That's what we are. And not, oh, we're all special. But we are all uniquely created masterpieces by God. All uniquely gifted. All uniquely purposed by God. There are no accidents in his kingdom. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. How were we created in Christ Jesus? First, he created us as the agent of creation when God created everything. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church, he is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things were created by him. And nothing that was created was not created by him. Jesus is the agent of creation. That is the first way we are created in Christ Jesus. The second way is pretty awesome itself. He made us a new creation when we believed in him. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. 
Behold, the new has come. So when we were created in Christ, first created as human beings, we're alive, we exist. Second, created new when we believed in Christ. So as his masterpiece, created twice. Created once as human beings, created a second crime, crime, time, second time as a new creation when we believed in Jesus Christ. That's astounding to me. And why? So that we could live our lives and do whatever we wanted, so we could be happy? No. For the good works which God prepared. And I love the way this phrase works out. Because these are works that are beneficial, that God prepared for us to do, or he ordained for us to do in advance, even before we were physically created. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. God told the prophet, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. This is one of the many reasons that we as followers of Christ reject abortion. Because there is not a baby anywhere in a womb that God doesn't already know, that God hasn't already consecrated, that God hasn't already appointed. Now, maybe they're not all appointed to be a prophet, and that's fine. But there is not a single human being conceived that God does not know, that God has not consecrated, and that God has not appointed. And abortion ends that, or it tries. God brings that precious baby home, I know, I believe it. When David lost his son by Bathsheba, he said, I, he won't return to me, but I'll go to him. There are some denominations, some religions that teach if you have a, a baby, a little baby um, that, that dies, that, well, if they weren't baptized or they weren't this or the other, that's all, it's all wrong. It's not what the Bible teaches us. That is not the mercy and grace of our God. Every one of them goes directly into the presence of God. But imagine what God had created them for that we all could have seen. Psalm 139, verse 13 through 17 says this, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Let me just think about that for a second. God can take a couple eggs and a cup of coffee, and use it to fuel my biomechanical machine that I call my body. And when I run out of fuel, my body lets me know. Okay, you know, I got to eat something else now. And what it doesn't use, it deals with. And it can take anything. I want you to think about that. Now, granted, there's consequences for this, but still... Take your gas-powered car, go to the gas station, and put diesel in it. What's going to happen? 
car ain't going to run very well, is it? Or take your gas-powered vehicle and shove a banana in the gas tank. What's going to happen? Shove a cupcake in there. Now, don't get me wrong. Your car's supposed to run on something specific. So are we. We're supposed to run on, you know, lean meats, good veggies, hostess cupcakes, and coffee. But it doesn't matter what you put in it. There are going to be consequences, you know, if you put the wrong stuff in it too much. But it doesn't matter what you put in it. Your body can take it, it can turn it around, and it can keep you alive. Wow. How did that happen by accident? I am preaching like seven sermons this morning. I apologize. I'm trying not to be that disconnected. But I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. The moment an egg is fertilized, the DNA code for that human being is written. Huh? It's, you know, I can't even show you how small it is. Before the first cell turns to two cells and into four cells, and then, you know, then the little head starts to form and the little heart starts to beat. Before any of that happens, the entirety of what that person will look like is already written. That's insane. Somewhere between 11 and 14 days, the heart starts to beat. Within a few weeks, the, the weeks, the brain starts waving. Electrical signals up and down. And the little legs pop out and the little arms pop out. And I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Have you ever seen really good weaving? Or, like, you know, we can do knitting, we can do crocheting, needlepoint. Have you ever seen somebody who's really good at that? And they can take a thread or, or yarn or whatever it is they use, and they can turn it into something. I can't do that. I can buy it, but I can't do it. And they can just, they can, they can do that. That's what God did for each of us. That's why no two of us look alike. Now, sin has marred that. It's true. It's unfortunate, but it's true. It doesn't change that we are that unique creation. And before any of it was formed, the next part of Psalm 139, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when yet as there was none of them. You ever wonder, do I really have a purpose? Do I really have a reason for being here? If you are alive, if you're not, nudge your neighbor, let them know, we'll call 911. But if you are alive, if you have breath in your lungs, you have a God-given purpose. I have no doubt about that. Well, how do you know? Because he told us. Well, how can you be so confident? Because he told us. Now, what is your purpose? I don't know. What is my purpose? I'm thankful that for the most part I do know. And some of us do. And that's awesome. And some of us don't. So that's the first question. If we're here, do we have a reason to be here? Yes. I think back on Esther. We're never going to finish, so I'm going to stop here. Um, we'll get into Luke again one day, I promise. But 
I look back on Esther, right? Look at the history of the Jewish people. Bad kings, good kings. Bad kings, good kings. Eventually, bad, 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 bad kings. God got tired of them, sent them off to Babylon. Esther's parents are killed. Esther is raised by her uncle Mordecai. Esther gets taken by the king into his harem. Nobody ever talks about this part of of the, the, the book of Esther, the account of Esther, that, you know, he got rid of Vashti for all the reasons that are listed. And then he brought all these women. Oh, and if the woman pleased the king, she would be the new queen. But guess how she had to please the king? Because then she was put in his harem. Esther pleased the king. She didn't have a choice in the matter. And he made her queen. Now that's, wow, that's horrible. And then you got this guy, um, uh, Haman. Haman is a descendant of King Agag. King Agag is the king that Saul was supposed to kill way back in the book of 1 Samuel. Hundreds of years between. Saul was supposed to kill King Agag. And he didn't. Samuel rebuked him for it. It cost Saul the kingdom. But as a result, Agag had descendants who survived. Haman was one of those descendants. Then, if you really want to have fun, you go back and you look. Esther was actually a direct descendant of Saul. She was a Benjamite and a direct descendant of Kish, who was Saul's father. Right? The Bible is so awesome! So you get here hundreds of years later in Babylon, and a direct descendant of Agag and a direct descendant of Saul are in the same palace. Haman decides he wants to kill all the Jews because Mordecai won't bow to him. The king says, well, that sounds fair because Haman bribes him to do it. And Mordecai comes to Esther and goes, you got to go talk to the king. She goes, I can't do that. He could kill me. He goes, no, that's why you're here. It's why you're here. All of this happened for this moment. And you may be thinking, I I don't know why I'm here. Why am I sitting in this really warm room that smells of smoke and this guy won't shut up? For a reason. Now ask me what the reason is. I can't tell you. But I know the one who can. Why am I in Gunnison? Because God put you here. Why am I in this church right now? Because God brought you here. Well, I chose to come here. Okay, you can believe that all you want. And I'm glad you did choose to come here. But still, God knew and he had a purpose in it. Why am I at the stage of life I'm at? Maybe I'm starting my career. Maybe I'm retired. Maybe I'm somewhere in the middle. Who knows? Why am I there? Because God has a reason for it. There are no accidents in the kingdom of God. If you are alive, if you have breath in your lungs, you have a God-given purpose. Now next week, preview spoiler alert next week we're going to look at how we discover that purpose i was planning on doing it today but i have five more pages of notes so i'm going to spare you and we'll look ahead to next week but here is where i'm going to end today the way i always end just you can pretend the rest of the slideshow is not there (laughs) can skip down to the song um this is where i'm going to end So my first question, and it's the first question I ask at the end of every single message. 
If you are here, if you are listening to this today, whether you're in person, whether you're on, on, the, on the live stream or you hear this recording at some point else, that is not an accident. God brought you to this place so you could hear the truth of the gospel. You could hear that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and that he rose from the grave. So you could hear that you are so greatly loved that God, in his infinite mercy, in his astounding grace, sent his son so that you and I could be saved. Now, if you know that, I rejoice with you because we're all going the same place. Lightning could strike the building. We could all explode in a fireball that's glorious and we'll all end up in the same spot. If you don't know that, nobody's promised tomorrow. And I'm not here to scare people because it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. But hell is a real place. The wrath of God is a real thing. The judgment of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. We just read it. And so if there's anybody listening who has never given their lives to Christ, that is your first purpose. God did not create you to live your life for yourself. He did not create you to live your life aimlessly. He created you to know him. Second, maybe there's somebody here, or I know Christ, but I have no idea what to do. I don't know what's next. I don't know what's first. I don't know what's up. I don't know what's down. Rest in this. God knows. He knows. He knows exactly what he wants you to do. He knows exactly where he wants you to go. He knows when he wants you to go there. He knows how he wants you to get there. He knows what's going to happen once you arrive. And I'm not necessarily saying you got to get in your car and, you know, drive to Kentucky. I'm just saying, God knows. Oh, I'm, I'm too old. I'm done with all that. No, you're not. You're still breathing. If you're still breathing, you have a purpose. Oh, I'm too young to be used of God. Esther was a teenager. David was a teenager. Jesus was 12 years old in the temple confounding the religious scholars. I don't care how old you are or how young you are. If you have breath in your lungs, you have a purpose. Next week, we're going to talk about how we find out what that is. But until then, let's pray. Father, thank you that you have created each of us first and foremost to know you. And I pray, Father, that if there's anybody who doesn't, that you would be working on their hearts right now. Whether they hear this recording 10 years from now or they're listening at this very moment, if there's anybody who doesn't know you, Lord, just speak to their hearts. Help them to know how much you love them, how you demonstrated that love through Jesus' death on the cross. And for all of us, Lord, give us confidence, not in ourselves, not in our plans, not in our pursuits, but in your purpose, knowing that you have given us each a reason. May you be glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.